0: You can grab your seat. We have the great privilege and honor of having
1: Pastor Ben and Danielle Tifi with us this evening. And it can I, it's just, just been such an incredible weekend. Pastor Ben's been uh, speaking, spoke at our men's breakfast. We did some podcasts together and I, I just have really appreciated the way that he's able to take some really big concepts and articulate them in a way that is just really profound. Um, and, and it's been really, it, it, it's been real joy to uh, be able to hang around with you and kind of just be able to, I guess, learn from and hear and and. Uh, really appreciate the way that you're able to just speak into topics uh, like you did this morning and, and bring a fresh light and a fresh handle to stuff, which is really, really powerful. So I'm super excited this evening. So why don't we get on our feet
0: and give a great big 6pm welcome to Pastor Ben Teefee this evening.
1: All right, all right. How you doing? How you doing? It is so cool to be here. Go, go ahead and take your seats. Thanks so much for having me. Pastor Chris and Pastor Sue, love you guys, love your church. Uh, We're thinking of moving to Toowoomba now just to serve on your door or something like that. That'd be cool. What a great place. This is the town of my birth. I can say that I preached in uh, Mount Isa a little while ago and I told them, this is my hometown, but that's because I did primary school there, but I was born in Toowoomba. And when we went for a road trip through uh, Queensland recently, I took my daughters past the hospital of my birth, St. Vincent's. How many Vinny's Vinny's children? Yeah. I know Pastor Chris is. Oh, let me look at you. Let me look at all the traumatized souls so I know who needs the therapy. Um, And my daughter, because in the Northern Territory, um, Vinny's isn't a hospital, it's an op shop. And so my daughters now don't stop teasing me like, Dad, you came from an op shop. It is pretty crazy, pretty crazy. Thank you for having me. Shall we open God's word together tonight? Uh, Let's pray. Father. Come and talk to us by your word. Let your Holy Spirit hover over this, Lord. There are people in this room who love you and whose hearts are yearning for direction and clarity from you in something. Give it to them. Father, there are people in this room who feel far away from you, but we pray tonight in your word that you would come and just with the Holy Spirit, nudge them where you want them to go. Let them know that they're closer to you. Let them know your embrace tonight, Father. Lord, there may be people in this room who don't know you. We pray they would know you by the time we're finished together tonight, Lord. Let them just nudge closer to you in Jesus' name. And Father, those of us in this room who you have calling for, who you have destiny for, that you have mission for, Lord, let us be sharpened in our capacity to see and know what it is Doing what it is you're calling us to, and what it is you're calling us to be, Father. So we open our hearts and our minds. We pray, Lord, pour your grace, pour your wisdom, open our eyes tonight, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Oh, thanks, church. How you doing? You're doing all right? It's good to be in church, isn't it? Thanks for being here. It's very embarrassing when no one turns up when you preach. Those they, they don't invite you ever back again otherwise her name was Trinity and when I saw her she was walking past the doorway of our church she was doing drive-bys past like we have a large lawn in the front of our church and she was on our property 50 metres from the roadway but then she was walking past the front door and just looking in very furtively very like, like almost like she was freaked out and afraid I mean we've all had our first time in church before it's a bit scary isn't it and, and she was walking past and I like to station myself on the door before and after services because I like to like, talk to people on the way out and on the way in check who's there check where they've been get maybe maybe kick some people hurry up and get out you know whatever um and so I always hang around near the door and so this day it's before church well before church quite early actually I don't know why we were even there that early I was just hanging around near the door hoping anyone would turn up of course and um and she's like walking past and looking in and keeping going now the thing about her is is she's dressed like a 1980s gothic person we used to have them in Toowoomba do we still have them in Toowoomba yeah Okay, And she's like wearing all, all black and she's got black hair and a black eye mate, makeup. Looks like she's about to be part of the Kiss Reunited tour or something like that. You know. Um, and, and she has um, like occult symbols tattooed all over her face. It's got a pentagram in the middle of it. She's got a 3D tattoo of three barbed wire gashes on her throat barbed wire wrapped around and 3d gashes that look like a bear is just going you know like i know young adults these days they do it with their jeans, and it's like everyone's turned up to church going wow i survived a bear attack on the way here but she had it like here on on her neck on her throat it was incredible and so she definitely was the type of person not judgmentally but if you look at her you're like whoa that that's some serious lifestyle choices mate that you've made there and she's walking past the church and she's looking too scared to come in. And I think if I see her do that one more time, I'm going to catch her. And so she does do it one more time. And I go out and I say, hey. And I thought she just looked scared. Her eyes were just as wide as saucers. You know when someone's afraid and their, their eyeballs are just like, oh, man. She's furtive. And I went out and I said, hey, are you okay? You, you look a bit lost. You look a bit worried. Can I point you in the right direction? And she, and she goes, am I allowed to come in? I'm thinking, lady, I'm glad if anybody comes to church today. Man, you can come in. I'll pay you right now. She's going, can I come in? And I said, of course you can. Of course you can. Do, do you think you, you're not welcome here? And she goes, look, it's just that I know I look weird. I know I look weird. But six months ago,
0: six months ago, I, I woke up in the morning and I've had all these issues and I've got all these addictions and I've got all this stuff going on in my head and I know I'm away from God. I even know I look weird. And six months ago, I woke up and I was so depressed and I was so broken. And I woke up with this idea in my head. I think only God can help me. I think I need God. I need God. I
1: need God. And six months ago, it wasn't in our town. It was a different town, a different state, a different border. You know, South Australia. Um, <laughs> and she woke up and she went to a church. And as she walked towards the front door, and she's explained to me, as I walked towards the front door, and listened. I know, I know I look weird. But as I walked to the front door, they said, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. You can't come in here. No, not looking like that. Not until you have a meeting with our pastor and our elders and we find out what you're up to. She said, I couldn't take it again. I couldn't take one more rejection. I couldn't take, I just couldn't take one more person looking at me. And I went home and I, and and it was six months ago and I've never done it again. But I woke up this morning with that same thought, thinking I could just give it one more try if there was a church that would let me in the door. God forbid, Hey that we ever become the type of people that become the barrier instead of the entryway to the kingdom of God for broken people. I said, you can come and choose. Are you sure? I said, yeah, yeah, grab grab a hand. And so we held hands. the First time I've ever held hands so early in a relationship and we're walking in. (laughs) Um, in the church, and, and she's coming with me, and, and she's quivering, man, like a leaf, and she's thin as a leaf. I knew, you can tell when you've I've been a, being a drug addict, and when, you, when you've been one, or when you've worked with drug addicts, you can sort of tell when they really haven't looked after themselves and they're just bony and thin, and really, she was just gaunt, you know. Um, and we're walking in, and I could tell she was just shaking like a She goes, You sure I'm allowed in? Are you sure I'm allowed in? I said, It's okay. She goes, Well, the pastor mind. I said, I know him. He won't have a problem with it. Don't worry about it. Come on in. And I actually took her and I introduced her. Danielle was one of them and some of the other ladies. And I took her up to these kind old nannas. And I was just like, hey, what's your name? Trinity. Oh, Trinity, she just needs some love. And man, this big old nana just come and Come here, baby. Oh, this, uh, yeah. But that's exactly what she needed. It's exactly what she needed. And they just comforted her and they soothed her and they calmed her. I'm sorry, I'm being a bit naughty. It's been a long day and so um, they they soothed her and they comforted her and then they brought her in and they sat her down she wasn't comfortable sitting too far up the front so she sat as far to the back as you can in the middle of our auditorium we call it the hot seat seems to be the place where everyone who's not comfortable in church sits and finds Jesus it's the most anointed seat in the house I wish they'd move it closer to the front and a few other people would sit in it but no I've even got a list of people I thinking you need to sit in that seat today yeah you know, like I'm telling you so she sits there, and then um, I, I'm preaching that day, and I get up to, to preach after the worship and everything, and I look back, and she's just wiping tears out of her eyes in the worship, which was incredible. And I get up to preach, and then she realizes that I'm preaching. She's like, <laughs> and she got the joke finally. It's the only time anyone laughs at my jokes. And she gave her life to the Lord that day. And we ask people, hey, come on, man, wherever you're going to, wherever you're coming from, draw a line in the sand of your life, turn around, cross over that line, say, God of the universe, my answer is yes to the offer of life in the gospel. My answer is yes to Jesus' life.
0: Let everything he's achieved and his resurrection and his death, let it be credited to me so I do can live a new
1: life and I'm coming to be your child, God. And I'm saying, hey, man, if you want to say yes to Jesus, shoot your hand up in the air and I will include you in my prayer. And she stands up on her feet and she walks forward a meter because there's all this space in front of the hot seat. And she walks forward and she's like, yeah, mate, mate. That can I do that? Can I see? She didn't even know you're supposed to be embarrassed about altar calls in church. Like that's how fresh she was. You know, you've got like the the, the introvert backslider's going, yeah, pray for me, Pastor Bear, pray for me, you know. And and she's like, yeah, mate, can I pray? And I'm like, yeah. And we lead her her in prayer. And even afterwards, like everybody's praying for her, and she cannot get enough prayer. She's bawling her eyes out, blubbering, all this sort of stuff. So she's just moved to our region. She's been a very vagrant, homeless, itinerant person on the run from the law, all sorts of crazy stuff going on in her life. Um, And she has this profound encounter with Jesus when she walks in the door of the church. It's incredible. We're blown away, and we've got people hooking up with her, discipling her, and like bringing her on the journey. And you know, the thing is, we found found out is that she had severe delusional mental illnesses. Severely delusional ones, um, and and had committed horrible crimes in other places where she was on the run from the law and done time in jail and all sorts of stuff. Um, and and part of her process was going to see a psychiatrist to help her uh, work through everything that was going on within her. And she came to us one day and was going, "How are you going?" She goes, "Yeah, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. But <laughs> could I ask you a favour? I have to keep going to see my psychiatrist, and I don't ever understand the big words that he uses. And he's telling me what to do and telling me what's wrong with me, and I just don't ever understand what's." going on so so do you could could someone come with me could you get someone to come with me to help me and my beautiful wife danielle's here and and uh, we said well danielle might do it for you i mean she's pretty crazy she fit in you know um (laughs) and, and and danielle went with her and just helped her along and people have surrounded her life and there's all this care and there's all this nurture and man she hasn't had love and nurturing in her entire life if you know her story and she just began to grow It was like she got put in an environment of just nurture and love, and people just lovingly served her and helped clean up her life, and she began to grow. So she could never have her own mobile phone because she couldn't, she would have a breakdown and have a delusional freak out just filling out the form because the stress was too much of an allostatic overcoming load for her. And so we catch up with her a little while later and. She whacks a mobile phone out of the pocket and goes, oh, can I get your number, guys? Right? You got a phone? Yeah. I went down to the Telstra shop and I filled out the form and I got the thing. I said, like, well, how are you paying for this? Well, I, I, I went to a job interview. I, someone in the church helped me get my resume done and I went to a job interview. Actually, I went to 17 job interviews and finally one person was dumb enough to give me a job and I got a job.
0: And now and now, why I want your phone number is because I need you as a reference
1: to tell you that I'm a stable person because I'm applying for my own apartment and I'll be able to get out of that hostel I've been living in because I went and inspected it. And I mean, we are blown away because this woman has been undergoing severe mental treatment, severe care, psychological mental health treatment because she can't even fill out a form on her own. And now within months of finding Christ, her life is growing like that. She's got a mobile phone. Man, she's playing Pokemon. No, she's not doing that. But she's doing like texting and ringing and got an internet account. She signed up
0: for online study. She's got a laptop going on. She's got herself a job going on. She lives unsupervised in her own house now.
1: And so... Danielle goes with her to see her psychiatrist at another time. And the psychiatrist says, tell me what you've been going. He's like a, a, a Nigerian man. Tell me what's been going on, my dear. And, 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 and she says, well, I've been reading the Bible. And he's like, wait a minute, you can't read. And she goes, no, I can now. I've been like, my, my focus has returned and my clarity's back. And I've been reading my Bible every day. And I'm going to church and I'm going to small group and I'm serving. And he's going, what? And you've got a job? Yeah. And he's writing all this stuff in the notebook. Eventually, he turns the notebook and he says this well, I don't know about all this God stuff, and I don't believe in all this God stuff, but whatever you're doing, you keep doing it. (laughs) He told us, and she told us. We got a letter from some of her supervising health professionals saying, somebody who had her level of mental illness, none of them have ever seen someone make such a sharp and steep incline of recovery throughout their entire careers. Thank you, church, they said. We don't know what's going on. We don't believe all the same stuff. But whatever you're doing, keep doing it. It's working. See, um, when you join lives with Jesus, what is true of Jesus becomes true of you. When Jesus is on the cross, he died on the cross, a horrible murder, a sacrificial death. That the prophet Isaiah looked ahead 700 years into the future with his prophetic vision and said, it's not a tragic martyrdom or a murder. It is those things, but it's not just those things. What it is is a holy sacrifice. What it is is a sacred moment where the God of the universe comes down and intervenes and in one big breath inhales all the sin and the shame and the death and the brokenness and the fracturedness of humanity into himself and wrestles it to the ground in his death and is buried with it in the tomb. Uh, But on the third day, he rises again, leaving all that stuff dead dead there and walks in newness of life. And Isaiah said, surely by his stripes, we are healed. And on the cross, what is true of you, Broken? Shortcomings? Ashamed? What is your list? I'm giving you mine. Addicted? Failed in certain areas? Full of all types of dark and ungodly desires that drove my life and gave me life-controlling problems? And all of those things that were true of me on the cross, they became true of Jesus. See, when you join lives with Jesus, there is an interchange, there is an exchange. What was true of him becomes true of you because on the cross, what is true about you became true of him. And he swaps you, your brokenness for his healing, your darkness for his light, your, your death for his life. So he's not remotely scared that when he joins lives with you, your cooties are going to come onto him. He earnestly desires it. Let me take it from you. Let me carry it. You can't lift that. Only I can. And he takes it to the tomb. And in resurrection life, he emerges on Easter Sunday. And then he lives an invitational resurrection life and says, won't you join me in my new life and live a new life, walking in step with me now? Because what was true of you became true of me. Now, what is now true of me can now become true of you. Of course, we get a story about this in John chapter 13. A story that illustrates everything we need to know. A story that I don't have much time to tell you because I have like six sermons on this topic. I'm only giving you four and a half John chapter 13, verse 1 to 17, listen to what it says. It was just before the Passover festival and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, think about that. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved his own who were in the world talked to the influences group yesterday I was saying sometimes the scriptures stories are like going to visit your physio or your chiropractor it's just gonna snap you back into place a little bit you're a bit out of shape you're a bit you know wonky and then John's gonna give you a bit of bit of psychological and theological and literary Cairo to snap you back to where you need to be. It's pretty good. It can be uncomfortable. But afterwards, if you internalize the message, of course, what happens is you go, well, that hurt at the time, but I'm walking now a little bit freer than I was before. So see what happens is we miss this sentence that Jesus loved his own who were in the world. Because we can't possibly imagine a God that could come and love us in the midst of all the dirt and darkness where we are. In fact, we're more likely to create a God in our own image because we would never love anyone in their dirt and their darkness. We would rather that they change and exchange their dirt and their darkness and then become lovable to us. Isn't that true? And because we're broken and dysfunctional like that, we project all of our brokenness and dysfunction onto God. And we imagine that, well, if I can't love anyone unless they get well first, then God couldn't love me unless I get well. And we live this life like cosmic orphans floating around on a little piece of space dust, fearing that really what we are is just little puppies jumping through divine hoops, hoping that God flicks us a little doggy treat if we sit at the right time like a good little boy or girl because we think God's like us and God ain't like us he ain't like us he loved his own who were in the world he didn't wait for them to leave he didn't wait for them well when you're more heavenly then I can love you when you're more heavenly then I can join life he loved
0: his own who were in the world he came into the world in fact John earlier will say God so loved the world that he gave his only son Because He doesn't wait for you to get somewhere better. He doesn't wait for you to get to a better place. He doesn't wait for you to get to a better spot. He doesn't wait for you to become holier. He doesn't wait for you to change your behaviour. He just gets you where you are. You're in the world. You're in a steaming pile of bovine manure of a world and a bloodstream of humanity with your own issues smeared all over your face.
1: And He loves you right there. He loves you right there. He doesn't stop and witness, oh, I love you. I'll send you a telegram. He enters into it. He loved his own who were in the world. Listen, he loved his own who were in the world and he loved them to the end. Everybody say to the end. Verse two. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, we heard about that, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the father had put all things in his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Remember John's preface, he loved them in the midst of the world. He loved them in the midst of the dirt. He loved them where they were and came. So what does he do? He
0: knows what's going on. So he strips off his outer garments and he comes and takes the clothing of a
1: servant and he begins to wash their dirty feet. He poured water into a basin. He began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus said, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, says Peter, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, hey, don't you feel better about yourself when you read about Simon? Like knucklehead, always making the wrong stuff. And it's like, ah, that's you and me right there. Like if God was a dance party, you and I, we got two left feet when we rock up, you know? No, then Lord, Simon says, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean though not every one of you for he knew who was going to betray him and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he finished washing their feet he put on his clothes. He returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so for that is what I am. Now that I Your Lord and teacher have washed your feet. You also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example. Everybody say example. Set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed because you heard about them. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you internalize the theory and imbibe it in the ontological essence of your being. That's not what he said. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. To give you context, I've got this picture of feet that I found on Google. I don't recommend you Google weird feet pictures. There's a lot of crazy people out there doing weird stuff. Have a look at some dirty feet. None of you were psychologically prepared for what you're about to witness. Okay, I want you to think about this. How intimate or close would you have to be with somebody before you would be willing to touch those feet, to take them and lovingly and caringly wash them? Not a contracted medical worker or, or a carer or something, but actually I just rock up and go, hey, my, my feet are dirty. Hey, bros, can you give us a quick foot wash, mate? All <laughs> right? The world is divided into two groups, those who hate feet and the psychopaths who are somewhat attracted by them. It's very odd. But see, in the first century world, there's no shoes, there's no footwear, there's no Gucci, there's no doormats, there's no paving and there's no bitumen, which means that everywhere you go, your feet, your open feet are getting grubby. Only 15 or 20% of the population even had shoes because shoes were a mark of great wealth. Most people had cloth wrapped around their feet or bare feet. And everywhere you walk, you're in the dust and you're in the dirt and there's no cars, there's no trucks, there's no buses, there's no electric vehicles. There's sheep and camels and donkeys and goats. And those type of emissions, well, they get into the environment. (laughs) And if the camel emissions, if the camel's been having some emissions ahead of you on the track when you walk, you just better watch out that you don't... Slip on the camel emissions. You know what I'm saying? There's the sheep emissions and the donkey and the horses and the cattle and the cows and it's all getting up between your toes because they don't know about microbiology back then. No one's going, ooh. They're more going, ooh, it's warm. <laughs> it's, it's horrible. Which is why in a Jewish home, when you go to someone's house for a feast, we don't want you walking your stinky dung feet in our place. You got your dirt and your dust, and then this sheep did a wee there, and the streamed in, and you just stepped through because you were too busy looking at what was going on, and you got all sorts of stuff under your toenails, baby. And I, when you come to my place, I don't want your filthy feet walking your filth into my place. So at the door in a Jewish home, you would be met with someone who has a bucket that looks a bit like this, if we could put that up, please. And the the bucket would be filled with, well, you can see it's porcelain. It's heavy. The slave would bring it and they would clunk it down and you put your foot on the footrest and then the slave who is wrapped in the towel, usually someone of very low status, because it's a horrible job. So you give it to like a woman or or a young child. The people, I'm not saying now, back then, the people of the lowest status in the room, which were... Don't hate me. I didn't write history, guys. Jesus died to change it. The lowest status person. Women were often seen as low status. The slave, the youngest one. It's quite possible in John's gospel. He, as the youngest, was the one who was supposed to do this job. They meet you at the door and they're wearing the clothing because they're of such low status that basically we don't want to waste good clothes on them. So we wrap them in a towel, which they're wrapped in. And they bend down and they scrub your feet and then you rest your washed foot on the towel... But there's no soap, man. There's no sanitizer. There's no dead old wipes. So your stinky foot, you wear wet, and then it's here and it's on the towel. And then they rub your foot all over their body to get the muck off so that the dirt is on them and not on you. Well, that's good because then now you can come into the feast. In the Jewish homes of the first century Well, feasting was done in a U-shaped area on the floor normally otherwise wealthier people would have a little built up table like you see in the sushi restaurants and 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 it would be in a u-shape it's called a triclinium a three-sided place and everyone would come in and often you see this in the bible you see the stories about dining in scripture that that they were reclining at the table jesus was reclining at the table and what they would do is they would all come and they would recline around this table and the food would be placed in the middle and what you do is you'd lie on the ground on cushions or palm leaves or something and you'd lie on the floor and you'd rest on one arm and with the other arm you'd reach over and grab your bread and your lamb and pass the bread and wine and all this sort of stuff. Okay, so you you and I, we're at our feast with
0: Jesus and we're top and tailing all in the thing. Now, praise God you had your feet washed when you came in because as we're topping and tailing around the triclinium, your your little piggies are right up in my
1: grill and they should have gone to market if you didn't wash them. So I don't want your filthy, pooey, dungy feet up in my grill in my feast I want clean feet in my feast I want nice smelling feet up in my face if I'm at the feast with you and you don't want my dirty feet up in your grill either by the way and we're all there and of course this is critical that your feet are clean because not only are we eating off this surface but in Jewish homes they only had one or two rooms for the most part so the feast would all be cleared away and then we're all sleeping there as well You know, if you go around Southeast Asia and many South Asian countries, you take your your shoes off at the door when you enter a home because you don't want to walk all the dirt from the the place in there because they still today eat on the floor and sleep on the floor in that one room plink. So it's very rude of you just to traipse your dung all the way in that's been from the highway outside. So think about this. Um, We live in a world where we say, if you want to come to my feast, wash your feet then you can come in. We live in a world that says, man, if I'm having a feast, don't be bringing your stinky feet up in my grill. But that's not Jesus. Uh, We talked this morning about the fact that in the first century world, dining with someone equals joining lives together. That's why it's controversial. So think about this. You and I, we would imagine God as someone who says, if you want to join lives with me, you get yourself cleaned up first. And here at this feast, Jesus knows, no, no, Don't wait till you clean up. Don't wash them on the way in. Don't let, don't have anyone stationed at the door that says only the clean can come in. Jesus says, Get to the table, however you get there, get there. Dine with me, feast with me. Let me pass you the broken bread. Let me pass
0: you the cup that represents my blood, which was poured out for you. Come to the table, come with your dirty feet, come with your dung and your stink. And whenever you walk through and you walk through some muck and now you smell exactly like the muck you walk through and walk it all into my feast because I know this is what Jesus is like. If you join lives with Jesus in the middle of the process of feasting with Him, of joining with Him, of joining lives with him, he gets up at the middle of the table and he
1: washes your feet. Jesus is nothing like you and me. We wouldn't wash someone's feet at the table. Even the disciples spent three years with Jesus and not a single one of them volunteered to do the worst job there. But Jesus does. He says, come to the table, dirt and all. Don't wait till you're clean before you come. Come and I'll clean you up. And see, now you understand what happened to Trinity. She traipses in her filthy feet, stinking out the place with what's going on in her life. And God's people offer her sacred hospitality in the form of a hug, in the form of a warm welcome, in the form of a bread and wine, in the form of worship, in the form of the preaching of the gospel, in the form of a smile, in the form of a welcome, in the form of someone willing to study God's Word with you, in the form of someone willing to help you learn how you fill out a form, in the form of someone showing you how to do a resume, in the form of someone encouraging you with a coffee when you're down at your worst, in the form of someone coming to your psych appointment with you, And little did she know that what she'd really done, she had stumbled accidentally onto a feast with her filthy feet and she sat down at the table. And at some time, as she feasted with the people of God, King Jesus, the suffering Saviour, washed the filth right off her feet. And I reckon we should have sat around with her and gone, Oh, that smells like daisies, Trinity. I have six sermons on this passage. Here's the first one. Jesus transforms people by joining lives with them. I'm not going to preach that one. Here's the second one. The second one is this. When you know certain things, you live a certain way. When you truly know your authority, your source, your destination and your purpose, you will serve others. John's clear. He opens up the story. Jesus knew what was going on. He knew he came from God. He knew he was going to God. Then what happens? So then he got up, took off his outer garment, and he served. Only the whole serve. Broken people refuse to serve because broken people are self-absorbed. But what happens when we come into Christ is we get a fundamental wholeness, which starts to produce in us an impulse we must cooperate with, which is the impulse to help others get clean feet. I'm not going to preach that sermon. Here's the third one. The towel is a picture of the cross. Jesus comes clothed in the towel, and the dirt on your feet becomes the dirt on his body. And the next day, he is going to the cross. I'm not going to preach that sermon. Here's the next one the pattern. This is how Jesus' people should live in this world cleaning people's feet finding the filthiest, most unwelcome, stinky feet, finding the people who've walked through all sorts of God knows what, and man, they pong exactly like what they've walked through. Yep, this is how you follow Jesus, friends. You find those people and you go, oh, come and join lives with me. As you join lives with me, join lives with us. As you join lives with us, you're joining lives with Jesus. And somewhere in the middle of the feast, Jesus is going to
0: clean those feet up. And since Jesus ascended to heaven, I have his Holy Spirit. So now I'm his hands and feet, which means I'm putting on the towel, baby, and I'll put you your feet up here I'm going to help you get clean we're not those that stand at
1: the door and turn people away but I'm not going to preach that sermon the fifth sermon is this one how to make your life paradise Jesus said if you know these things you will be blessed if you do them that word blessed is the Greek word makarios makarios means paradise and that's why it's translated as blessed. It's like, man, your life would be paradise if you did. Now that you know these things, your life will be paradise if you do it. Imagine what a heaven on earth life we'd lead if we all follow Jesus in the fine art of helping the filthy feet to get clean instead of pointing the finger in judgment and rejection. But I'm not gonna preach that message. Here's number six, and this is today's sermon. John says, Having loved his own who were in the world, he now loved them to the very end. Everybody say end. In the Greek language, the word end is the word telos. I think we have a slide that might say that. Telos. Telos is a philosophical word. It's a very significant word. And if you just read the English translation of John's story, he loved them to the end. You might think he loved them to the end of his ministry. He, he loved them to the end till he died. He loved them till the end of the meal. But John is saying something deeper. He's saying he loved them to the telos. And telos in Greek is the philosophical word for goal. Not just any goal, like I scored a goal in soccer or I've got a goal to like lose five kilos so my children stop calling me fat boy. Um, you know, no, not those goals. The ultimate goal, the telos. Telos is the ultimate philosophical purpose, the reasons something exists, not a mini goal or macro goal. Why
0: does this exist? Why has it come into being? What's it for?
1: I'm holding a microphone in my hand. It's, it's telos. Its goal is to amplify my voice. There's a clock up on the back wall counting down. It's telos. Its goal is, so I shut up soon. Sitting on a chair. It's telos. Its goal is to hold you up in a relatively comfortable posture so you can enjoy church together. Tell us the ultimate goal. Listen to what John says. This is what Jesus does when he does this wonderful footwashing act because this reveals exactly who God is, and this reveals exactly who Jesus is. He came into this broken dunghill world and he feasted with people with filthy feet. They had no idea how they stunk out the place when they walked in. Everything they walked through followed them in and they left traces of it everywhere. We're like that, aren't we? Having loved them. He now loved them to the goal. He loved them to the goal. And there's the sense that this action of Jesus points towards his action on the cross and his resurrection. How does God get you where he wants you to go? He stoops and he serves and he suffers and he sacrifices to love you to your telos to love you to your goal some of us imagine God as a dictator of North Korea pointing an AK-40 in your head I said go or a manipulator I'm oh, I going to make you do what you're going to do Hubble, bubble, boil in trouble or a grumpy Gandalf in the sky with a cricket bat waiting to thump you every time you do something wrong don't step out of line God's going to get you He feasts with people because that says, let's join lives together. In the midst of the feast, he gets up and he says, you have no idea what I'm doing now, but you will understand later. Unless I'm the one that washes you, you can never get clean. You cannot do it yourself. No one else can do it for you. Jesus is the only one that can remove the stink from your feet of everything you've ever walked through. And John says, he he loved them in the midst of everything, in the midst of that world. And he loved them to their telos. He, he, he loved them to the goal. Just imagine the softness and imagine the intimacy of John showing us the Jesus posture. If after tonight you ask me, well, Pastor Ben, practice what you preach. We're all lining up and you can wash our feet. I have an appointment. <laughs> but if I have to do it, let's say you steal my car keys and I have no choice. How how I'm still learning to be like Jesus is if I have to wash those feet, actually wash. Um, It's going to be icky. My wife's in the room, so I have to be careful about what I say, but she is not good at back massages. (laughs) And she has a strategy and the strategy is, well, if I do it well, you will want me to do it all the time. So I'll just make you regret it every time and you'll stop asking. So when she gives, I love her. She's got many great strengths, but this is not one. Just pray for her. Pray that she'd grow tender hands. Um, When she gives a back massage, it goes like this. (sighs) Um, Look, she's got other skills. It's, It's done a little bit. Begrudgingly, it's like I'll do it, but I don't want to do it. I do, why are you making me do? Why are you making? Why you been so mean to make me touch your gorgeous body? I don't know. <laughs> and we could imagine that Jesus, when he deals with our dirt, is a little bit like that. That it's done. Okay, I'll do it. I'll, okay, fine. Come into the kingdom, you repent of your sins. Okay, fine. I died for everybody. What? I'll shut my eyes, and you can sneak on through as well. We imagine sometimes a reluctant God smelling our stink and a reluctant God getting involved. But John says, if you had to spy, if you could get the webcam footage from what Jesus did that night and he said nothing until Peter engaged him, he silently
0: washes their feet. And John said, he does it so tenderly. He does it so graciously. He does it so lovingly that the only conclusion John could do as the witness that had rested his head on the chest of Jesus just before this happened is now what he did is he showed them, he loved them too the end. This was an act of love, not an act of toleration, not an act of, not even disgust, like clean yourself up. It was an act of love. Let me serve you. Let me give to you. Let me minister to you. Man, you wait till you feel how clean feet feel, baby. You're going to love it. You wait till that lotion in the water kicks in. You wait till you feel the softness of the towel on my body, man. I'm going to clean you up. And this is an
1: act of love. It's an act of love. It's an act of, it's not disgust and, you
0: He loves you to the goal. He loves you to the goal.
1: Everything in God is nurturing and loving and giving and serving and sacrificing. And when He wants you to go somewhere, the only posture that we have revealed to us in the face of Jesus Christ is an act of love that looks a whole lot like, let's get you cleaned up. Let's get your dirt. I'm I'm, I'm taking it upon myself. I'm not sending you away. Go clean up. I'm, I'm taking it upon me. Father Greg Boyle is a, is a Catholic priest. He works in South Central LA, the strongest gang area in LA. He has a, a rehab program for gang members. It's called Homeboy Industries. Imagine like a little old Catholic man in his 60s walking around with the homies. It is the world's most successful gang rehabilitation program. I think we've got a picture of it that we could put up on the screen. People ask him, how the heck have you been so effective? How have you rehabilitated so many gang members? And he says this, only the soul that ventilates the world with tenderness has a hope of changing it. And that's what Jesus does in this story. He ventilates the stinky room with the tenderness of his love. How amazing is that? I don't know if you think about Jesus as tender. Sometimes we think gentle Jesus, meek and mild. But what about a tender, loving Saviour who says, I have goals for you, friend. I have calling for you. I have a vision for you. You have a telos. You have an ultimate destiny, an ultimate purpose. There's something I made you for. There's a version of you that's youer than you've ever been before. That you could be a human being fully alive, more human than you've ever been in your whole life. And I want to love you in that direction. I want to clean you up of all the stink and, and whatever you've walked through. I want to get rid of it with you. And love is the way. He loves you towards the goal. I saw this powerfully illustrated earlier this year. I, I like to do martial arts. Krav Maga is my favorite one. It's the Israeli close quarters combat. And I'm the only pastor, like the non-combative person. I do it with a bunch of US Marines and bodyguards and law enforcement officials. They all bash me up all the time. It's fine. And why do you do that? Well, simple, because I hate exercise. I don't want to go to the gym and pump iron because like this can't afford to get any bigger, baby. And I don't jog because the Bible says the wicked run, no, no one pursues. So jogging's against my religion. So basically the only way I can afford to exercise is you have to try to kill me and then I will get some motivation up. Well, if I have to defend my life, now I can exercise. And so I go to Krav Maga. Uh, I went to Krav Maga my very first time and I basically found myself lying on the ground while a gorilla on top of me goes, poof, 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 punching me in the face. The bell stops at two minutes of our sparring. We get up for a drink of water and I drag my half knocked out person over there. And uh, we're having a drink of water. And, and this guy goes, so what do you do? And he drinks his water. And I say, I'm a pastor of Desert Life Church. And he goes, he goes, what the heck are you doing here? But he didn't say heck. <laughs> we had a chat. I, I'd done it for a few years and got to know him pretty well, only at training, had no idea about the rest of his life, never saw him outside of Krav, just a crab, punching and wrestling and fighting and knife attacks and gun controls. Um, and he disappeared off the scene for a while, but Alice is transient, people come and go all the time. Didn't see him for a while. One day I'm preaching and he arrives at a service late. He actually turns up to our church. He'd never been to our church before. I didn't, haven't known him. And based on the comments I'd heard from him at Crav, I didn't think he was in any way ready to come to church ever. He rocks up after I haven't seen him for a long time. He's in his footy shorts. It's pretty common in Alice. And he has a ankle bracelet, a parole ankle tracking bracelet on his ankle. And I'm thinking, okay, there must be a story there. And uh, after the service, I noticed he responded to the gospel salvation message. He put his hand up and allowed me to pray for him when I asked him, anyone in the room, if you want to say, God, yep, no matter where I'm going to, no matter where I'm coming from, I draw a line. My answer is yes, make me your child. And when I prayed that day, he stood up with tears streaming down his face, a rough, tough guy, actually one of the alpha males of the town. And with tears streaming down his face, he prayed, God, come into my life. My answer is yes to the gospel message. And after the service, I went out to our guest lounge area and he was there and I went straight up to him. and I'm like, hey, how you going? He's like, oh, Pastor Ben. And I said, do you remember what you said to me the first time we ever met at Crave? And he goes, oh, I'll probably ask you what the heck you were doing here. He didn't say heck. And I said, well, I'm going to return the favour. So what brings you here today? He said, uh, I've, got, I've got some stuff to sort out. He didn't say stuff. I said, we've all got stuff to sort out. Don't worry, I said stuff. (laughs) We've all got stuff to sort out. Um, This is a great place to do it, man. We began to talk and he'd just been in jail because he was a drug trafficker and also some violent crimes against his wife. He'd been thrown into the the clink. Spent time in jail, was deeply ashamed. Said to himself the whole time, the whole time he was in jail, couldn't believe what a dog's breakfast he'd made of his whole life. And he decided while he was in jail, if I get out, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to find God. I'm going to find somewhere. I'm going to find God. I'm going to find out what God wants me to do in my life, and I'm going to do that. And he was serious about it. And we, and we prayed, and we hugged, and we didn't spar that day. He comes to church the next week, and again, he's in worship this time, and, and he's wearing his footy shorts, and he's quite a muscular buff guy in his tank top, and his guns are looking good while he worships God. He wasn't trying to. It just looked cool. He's worshiping God, and tears are streaming down his face, and I'm thinking, look at you, Jesus only you can take someone that alpha and broken and turn them to you and fill them with yourself. This is awesome. And I I had a tear just standing there watching him creepily in worship. And after the service, I went to have it, made sure I went and had another chat to him. How are you, mate? What's going on? He goes, Pastor Ben, if my wife could come and she could have this I reckon our whole marriage would have changed. I reckon our whole future could change if my wife could come. I said, okay, well, why don't we pray? Well, let's pray that she'll come. And you invite her. And I'm like, now listen, mate, you've got to, sometimes help people now listen mate just ask her nicely don't go like drag her by the hair and chuck her in the boot of your car and gaff tape her and bring her all right like ask invite her sweetly and nicely tell her you would like her to come tell her if she doesn't want to come with you because she's uncomfortable because of everything that's happened that we could have someone grab her and bring her and she could sit with us and we'd look after her and you would just know that she'd be around but she'd be looked after he's like okay okay fine i'll ask her and we prayed earnestly right there in the connect lounge god please let this woman come I'm about to go away on holiday, so I'm preaching one more time before I went away for a few weeks of annual leave to take my traitorous vegan daughter off to university in Brisbane. You just don't want to see your kids struggle like that, do you? Yeah, anyway. um, So I'm preaching, and I realize as I get up, just, you know, the the worship's ending and we're transitioning out, and I realize he's standing there with a woman, and I reckon that's his wife. I'd never met her before, never seen her, but they seem close, you know. And right then and there, the Holy Spirit just says, just do an altar call for those who need Jesus. Like It's like no one's preached yet. We've just had some nice worship and that's pretty cool. And so I do a very two-minute altar call gospel message if you want to draw that line in the sand of your life. Say, God of the universe, no matter where I'm going to, no matter where I'm coming from, my answer is yes to the gospel. Hand up in the air. I would love to pray for you. And she does it. She puts a hand up. She had these big fake lashes on. So it was so funny watching the tears glisten in them. While I was just like, "This are so cool, Jesus. And we pray. And then after the service, I meet her and she is shaken. She is shaken to the core. She had no idea. She's never been to church in her entire life. But her bonehead husband that has done terrible things. She has witnessed the unbelievable and what could only be framed as miraculous transformation of his character. In fact, I know someone obliquely through a different relationship network that was part of the tennis club that he was part of and said, everybody in town is talking about the same thing. What has happened to Devo? His name was Devo, short for devastation. He was such a bad character in our town that even some of the cops in the church were like saying, hey, are you, are you sure we should be letting that guy come here? I was like, I think we let everyone come to the table and we let Jesus transform their lives last I checked. Yeah. So it's so awesome seeing them there together, praying, praying with them, hugging them and crying in the lounge. And we go away for a month for our trip and then we come back. And as we're driving back, it's a seven and a half thousand kilometer road trip we did. As we're driving back to within Cooey of Alice Springs, I get back into phone reception. My phone just starts blowing up. Bing, 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 bing. And I'm thinking, you know, there's a storm in our rearview mirror. Someone could be sending me warnings or whatever what's going on. So I think I pull over the side of the road to check my messages and I have message after message. Did you hear? Did you hear? Did you hear, did you hear the news? Devo was riding his motorbike, had a head-on collision with a truck and was killed instantly. Everybody's broken. He's got a two-year-old daughter. He's got two daughters in their 20s. He's got a wife and a bunch of exes and a whole bunch of family. A big mob of people and there's an outpouring of grief. Coppers are texting me going, did you hear there's one less drug dealer in the world today? Yeah. The message. I went back and I met with the family, and I went and sat with them. I didn't know any of them except the wife who had just given her life to Jesus. And they're all there and they're squabbling about what's going to happen because this guy was one of the most well-known, popular sporting characters in the region. He gave money to every art gallery, every charity, every sporting group. Sponsored, you know, the muscle car club, the biker gang, the outlaw biker gang, the inlaw biker gang, the the the, the drag racers, and just giving money away everywhere. I mean, if you're selling drugs, you've got to do something with it, I guess. And they know there are thousands of people turning up to this funeral. What the heck are we going to do? And I get the message from his wife. Pastor Ben, I know we don't know each other very well, but in the last weeks of his life, life with him was heaven on earth. I just know he would have wanted you to do the funeral. Would you come and talk to us? And I rock up to the family and they're already fighting. They're all half drunk, straight bottle of Bundy rums getting passed around. And while we're meeting, they're all swigging it. I I didn't do it. And we're talking, and then they're also going, we don't want a religious service. Now, what's a pastor doing here? We don't want a religious service. And there's a a fight breaking out about the proceedings. And there's a fight breaking out about, well, where are we going to have it? Because there's thousands of people that are going to come. There's no building, not even a church or anything in our town that's going to accommodate those people. We end up having to have it in a wide open field so that the thousands of people there could be accommodated. And there's all this fight and all this discussion and, and his, his, his little wife, she's this, this tiny crossfitter and, 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 and at one point she stands up and she bangs the table and she goes, righto, listen you mob. I've been to that church
0: and I live with Devo in the last weeks of his life and the stuff this guy says, she didn't say stuff. <laughs> the stuff this guy says, it gets inside you and it gets inside you and it changes you. And this is what I want and this is what he would have wanted. He's going to do the funeral service. And in the middle of the funeral service, he's going to do that thing where they draw the line in the sand of their life and where they turn around and they say, "Go to come coming, And they put their hand up and then they get Jesus into
1: their life. And everybody's just staring at it. Even I was staring. I was going, you, you go, girlfriend. <laughs> She's the boss, man. They all, okay, whatever. She turns, she said, Pastor Ben, would you do the funeral service? I know everyone's going to be in grief and you should, you should hear about the wild people we hang out with but could you do it and could you share about Jesus like you did that day I put my hand up and it changed our lives? I went to this funeral and there were thousands of people there, every footy team, every sporting team, every motorcycle, car, drag race club in town. And they're all there and there's an outpouring of grief. People wheeling their Yeti Eskies up right in the middle, right in front of me. The family swigging out of straight bottles of rum and passing it down the aisle. People drinking tinnies and and people passing around bourbon and people vaping right there. And everyone just an outpouring of grief and no one has the tools and the skills to cope with this horrible loss of someone they were very close to. And just before me, his mother spoke and she said he was a heck of a child and she did not say Heck. She talked about how bad he'd been his whole life. It was my turn to get up and preach. And I got up and said, told them the story I told you the first time I met Debo. He was on top of me, punching me in the face. And he said, what the heck are you doing here? He didn't say heck. I did. And he came to church. He said, I've got some stuff to sort out. And that time, I hope you'll forgive me. I didn't say stuff. It was in quotations, you know told them what he said and he sorted his stuff out because he drew a line in the sand of his life and he said this to the god of the universe that offers us all a transformed future god of the universe no matter where i've been going to no matter where i'm coming from today my answer is yes my answer is yes to the offer of life in jesus yes to the gospel message yes to the great exchange that what is true of jesus could become true of me but what's been true of me could be all projected onto the cross of jesus My answer is yes, God. And for the first time ever, I said something that I've never said in an altar call before. I said, if you want to say yes to God today, I want you to put every bottle or tinny or bottle of bourbon out of your hands. And I want you to shoot a hand up to heaven right now. And I'm going to include you in my prayer. And hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, many big gruff footy players with tears streaming down their face, didn't even close their eyes looking at me. Yeah, man. I need Jesus and I prayed at the end of the funeral service we all went off to the Alice Springs inland raceway and the wake was thousands of people and a big heavy metal band and a lot of booze and they put the coffin on the back of a drag racing bike and did donuts and drag races and burnouts in celebration because he was just such a quintessential character in that part of the world And I left at about 7pm when things started getting crazy. I thought, probably no one's sober enough now for me to have a productive chat time to go. But before that, at that funeral wake, in the midst of Akadaka playing in the background and the smell of burning rubber and the engines, person after person after person came up to me. And I can't tell you how many times the conversations went like this. Pastor, is that true? Is that true? Listen, man, what'd you do? What'd you do? When when you said that thing at the funeral service and, and I put my hand up,
0: something happened to me. What happened to me? I felt God. What do I do
1: next? And I'm standing there praying with people and hugging people and they're crying down my neck. This big Captain Mary fella crying down my neck. His tears getting into my shirt. Super creepy as he has an encounter with the living God in an environment where akadaka and drag races and drinking is happening. As a result of that, I have had wide open doorways of opportunity with so many community groups in town. The Outlaw Biker Gang said, could you be our chaplain? I was like, I'm not allowed to do that by law, but you can come see me at the office (laughs) one-on-one. And uh, even though I grew up in a house with three sisters and now have three daughters and a beautiful wife, and I'm probably better at telling you whether a floral arrangement is good or a cello is in tune, I just want you to know I'm a big deal now. uh, (laughs) Because you, my friends, are looking at the chaplain of the Alice Springs Drag Club. (laughs) And just in case you don't know what that means, that's like cars and rubber, not like wearing women's clothing and stuff like that, okay? (laughs) The gospel is open. But you know, someone's got to be able to put up with some dirt, man. Someone's got to be able to put up with some stinky feet. And this is what I know about Jesus, because he did it to me. He's been doing it to me for 20 years, and he's done it to everybody I've ministered to in Central Australia. He comes and he loves you right where you're at. And he says, come to the table and feast with me and join lives with me. And by the way, I'm going to take care of that stink. I'm going to take care of what you've walked through. I'm going to take care of what you smell like. I'm going to wash your feet. He loves us to the goal. And love is the only speed you get to travel at with Jesus. Could I pray for you tonight? Would you bow your heads all over this place? King Jesus. Break our hearts for people who need your love. Break our hearts for people who don't know you. Break our hearts for the broken. Give your people a high tolerance for stinky feet in others. Give your people a passion to get others to the table. Give your people a heart to say, well, now that we know these things, the only way to blessing is if we do it, if we do what Jesus did. Father, give your church a passion to reach people and love them towards the goals you have for them. Love is the only way. Father, I pray for people in this room, maybe some of what I've said has exacerbated some stuff they know they walk through, some stuff on their feet. I pray, God, in their hearts, in their minds, let them know the covering power of the Holy Spirit. Let them know the yearning power of the Holy Spirit who yearns to join lives with them and see their life cleaned up in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. Hey, thanks for having me at your church. Thanks for having me preach to you. God bless you.